Because what I'm trying to tell the artist is you don't want to get held hostage by wow. putting this record out. And then some kid pops out, hires James Walker, and says, hey, James Walker, Zach got my song on his CD or on his, his album that's on iTunes, and he never paid me. He never, ever got that clear. Right. So now I'm calling you and Sony and saying, hey, I want a million bucks. Welcome to Musically Hitched, a podcast featuring the untold stories of entertainment professionals from household names to budding superstars and those still hidden in plain sight. Each life has a soundtrack. Our stories are the lyrics. I'm Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. This, this is, is Musically Hitched. Hitched. Enjoying the content on Musically Hitched? You can support this podcast by following and leaving a rating and review. James L. Walker Jr. of Walker & Associates recently made Billboard's eighth annual Top Music Lawyers list for 2022. Over the past three decades, Walker's Atlanta-based firm has represented high-profile music clients, including Aretha Franklin and Bobby Humphrey, as well as distinguished civil rights leaders, such as the families of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and Dick Gregory, among others. Walker is managing cases in 15 jurisdictions, with two recent copyright infringement cases involving client Andre Sims, whose lawsuit over the Her Track Focus was settled in 2021. So James, we're wrapping up the, the Howard days. You've obviously chosen to pursue the path of entertainment law, but that's not something that you major in, correct? If no. someone who wants to be an entertainment lawyer, can you go to college or law school for entertainment law? Well, let me say this. You can't necessarily major in it, but what some schools have is kind of a pre-entertainment law program, okay. or they have a music certificate. I know Georgia State has a wonderful program Right. that I'm going to help with at some point with uh, Mo Ivy Brown, where you go there and you take a bunch of entertainment law-related classes, okay. and you'll get a certificate mm -hmm. from Georgia State Law School. So I think Kennesaw has something too. But um, no, you don't necessarily major in entertainment law. Okay. Most kids in undergrad are political science majors. I was a journalism major. Okay. And you then um, work on pre-law to get you ready for law school. But you can go to law school in any undergraduate. I didn't know you were a journalism major. That's obviously something we have in common. It's a, yeah. it's a passion for, for journalism. So, but that explains it because you've been on the news probably more than the average entertainment attorney. Yeah, I started so, with uh, Mr. Cochran at his show at Cochran and Company on Court TV okay. in 95, 96. So I started coming on air late 90s with Johnny Cochran, who was a mentor and dear friend and was the one who walked me through how to leave the big firm. Okay, did he have a firm, this was, did he have a branch or a firm in DC at the time? Is that how you guys connected? No, we connected because he wanted to represent Ray Allen. Oh. And Ray Allen was coming out of UConn, mm -hmm. and I was the guy in UConn okay. for entertainment law. Nice. So he saw me at court TV often coming on, discussing Latrell Sprewell fighting his coach yeah, back then. Oh yeah. I was doing all the analysis for court TV then, and Mr. Cochran just pulled me in an office one day, what's up, young blood? You know, he talked that way with you, and I was like, oh, yeah, Johnny Cochran, you know, <laughs> right, right. we watched the OJ trial, and we screamed when you got the verdict, and he just pulled me aside and said, look, man, you could be on your own, but you got to save six months. Put away six months, Wow. and then you can leave a big firm. Mm. And that's the best advice anyone ever gave me, and I tell every young attorney I meet, I have one meeting with me tomorrow in my office, trying to go on their own, mm -hmm. I tell them, do you have six months? And they always say, why six months? And I say, well, it takes you two months to figure it out. You get your name on, get the office set up, and all that stuff. And then it takes another two months for people to kind of know you and know you're out here, you're circling mm -hmm. the parties and the events. And then that last two months, you start seeing business coming in. 
And so it takes you about six months to level out where it's steady enough for you to feed yourself, feed your family. Mm -hmm. And that's what Mr. Cochran taught me. And I'm very, very grateful that I had the time with him that I had. We would go to parties. And I would laugh at him. I would say, all these people hated you during the OJ trial. Mm. And now we're in an all-white party at Elaine's restaurant on Broadway. People from New York know Elaine's well. And everybody's running over to get a photo, get a number, get a you know, exactly. hug, get this with him, get right. that with him. And right. so, I mean, he was just a life of party. Of course. And he was very tight with Katie Couric. For some reason, she really took a liking to Johnny Cochran and just kind of shepherded him around New York. Nice. He was also tight with um, uh, Mark Morial, my frat brother who runs the National Urban League. Okay. And my big sister, Michelle Miller, who's married to Mark. And we would do parties in the Hamptons. And Cochran would come out to the Hamptons outside of New York in Old Say Harbor, what they call it, Old Say Harbor out there, and Sag Harbor, excuse me. And it was just amazing watching this man Mm -hmm. and how he navigated all of that hate as well as respect for him as a lawyer who really broke the criminal justice system. Yeah. So he was a he was a powerful mentor. He wasn't just someone you idolized. You guys actually became yeah, in some ways collaborators and definitely mm-hmm. mentors. He took my phone call and guided me to get my firm set up. That's awesome. And I guided him to get Ray Allen as a client. He negotiated Ray Allen's first contract. And I was the one that put that whole relationship together for him because I knew Ray through his mother Flo and his former business manager, Mark. So I was always in their circle in Hartford. I was doing local TV. I was at a big law firm, Robinson Cove. And when Mr. Cochran told me he wanted to open a sports agency, mm-hmm. he wanted to spin out of the criminal law stuff and do sports agency, okay. I had no interest in that. Mm-hmm. But I told him, I can plug you into Ray Allen's people, hook mm-hmm. him up with Flo. And at that point, Flo had an issue where her neighbors didn't like her dogs. So they were calling the city on her about her dog. She was really? in some influence of her. Johnny Cochran came, you can Google this, he came all the way to Connecticut to deal with a dog case for Flo Allen. <laughs> and he, I think he won the case, but sure from he did, that right? he ended up, you know, with Ray Allen and of doing his first deal. And the rumor had it that if you hired an agent, you would pay an agent, what, three to 5% mm-hmm. of your salary as an NBA player? Mm-hmm. I think Johnny did it for like a flat 100 or something, 100K. So it saved Ray money, a lot of money, but it definitely helped Johnny get in that door. Right. But I think Mr. Cochran realized that, hey, this is a field that I don't want to really, really be in. Because okay. being a sports agent, we all know you got to be down at colleges, you got to send a runner, you got to do all these favors. It's a lot to it yeah. to be a sports agent. That's why I've never had an interest in it. So your transition to being an entrepreneur, it started obviously in the early days, mm-hmm. continued in college. But now we're out in the real world, you've got a law degree in hand, mm-hmm. practicing. Did you start working with someone else in the firm or did you go entrepreneurial right away? And no, I started at a big firm. The number one firm in Connecticut is called Robinson & Cole. Okay. Robinson & Cole and Dave Pitney are considered the number one firm, one and two, depending on who you ask, in Connecticut. And I started at Robinson & Cole. I met them the summer of my last year of law school, right before I started. I met their partners. They told me when I got out of school, mm-hmm. they would interview me and offer me a job. I came back in the fall of 94, interviewed, they offered me a job. The way law school works is you get a job offer in the fall, okay. you go finish your year out. You do mm-hmm. fall and spring, okay. take the bar, and then you report to that firm that following fall. Okay. So it's a long process yeah. of waiting to get started, but they offered me a job. I took the bar, passed the bar, started there fall of 95, mm-hmm. stayed there till 97 or 98. And in that time, I kept telling them, I want to do entertainment law firm. I mean, I want us to do entertainment law. 
they didn't really understand what it was. They were a white shoe firm, 150 years old. Okay. I'm some black kid from Bridgeport saying he wants to do entertainment law. Yeah, so you were trying to pioneer something even within that In very the firm, They were right. no part of it. I had one or two liberal white partners who kind of took me under their wing and was trying to sell the four offices of the 200 member firm on this is a viable area we should be in, just wow. like healthcare, yeah. just like tax law, just like labor law, environmental law. All of those groups started in the last 10 or 20 years. Yeah. We need an entertainment law department. And it's really intellectual property, copyright, trademark stuff sure. that we all do. Sure. But he couldn't sell them on it, Brian Moran. He couldn't sell the firm on really doing it. They gave me a little brochure. I found the brochure recently. I got to show it to you. Okay. They let me put together a little two-page brochure yeah. that said Robson & Cole Entertainment Law and Media Group. That's and amazing. It was me, a mid-level associate, Felicia, a guy who was counsel to the firm, I think, Rafi Santiago, and the corporate department chair, uh, Alan Spear. Mm-hmm. They were in the brochure, their bios. And it was a little diagram on the box of the music industry and how it works. Yeah. And it was my brochure. When I sat on panels like this, uh-huh. I would say, here's our brochure. And people knew the firm was a respected firm, mm-hmm. but they never knew the firm to do the same law. Right. So after two years, I petitioned the management. And I said, look, there's guys in New York, solo practitioners. Zach is doing entertainment law. He's been doing it 20, 30 years. Why don't we make him an offer? Right. Now, I'm a second-year attorney telling a management team yeah. at a big mega firm right. how to run their shop. Right. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. But I wanted them to get me a mentor because I said I'm bordering on malpractice if I don't have a senior guy mentoring me as a first, second year attorney. Mm-hmm. So they didn't want to do it. So they basically said, look, you can fold up your practice. You can go on your own. You can take everybody with you. I left the firm after two years with 61 clients. Yeah, I had They had never had, a, they say it to this day, they had never had a first year associate build that many clients. 61? 61. 61 clients. Marcus Canby, Twinkie Clark, Hezekiah Walker, Mena Stander. I mean, I can go down a whole list of people I had that had hired me, local wow. radio stations. And they weren't big million dollar retainers like you see, you know, Coke Coles on you, but they were five. Yeah, but these are recognizable names at this time. These are people that are very established and still to this day. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a heck of a way to start. And that was probably the day Marcus Canby walked in our office. He had just signed his New York Knicks con- contract or Toronto Raptors, wherever he was. I, think he was, yeah, I know he was on the Raptors. Yeah, the thing was Raptors, but we set up a foundation for him called Candyland. Mm-hmm. He had set up this nonprofit in Hartford, and his uncle, um, Brother Moore, pulled me in, said, I want to have a black lawyer. I've seen you on TV. I know Robinson Cole. I want to have a black lawyer. So the mm-hmm. uncle pulled me in. He brought Marcus down to the office. The whole building erupted when Marcus walked in. Oh, sure. Four sure. floors of lawyers. Everybody was shooting emails out. Marcus Campy is on 29. <laughs> Who is he here for? And they just assumed there was a partner. Because right. I'm a second-year attorney, <laughs> and i never forget David had an apartment at the time. He wrote, he's here for James Walker. I'm mentoring James. James and I meet with Marcus to set up a nonprofit. That's a great, and, that's and, great. And, no. and, but I just let him sit up there for a while. Mm-hmm. I sat in my office. I'm going to just let him sit up there. Yeah, and, right. and all the white guys are walking by the lobby to get a look at Marcus. Y'all know how to do it. Oh, yeah. like, he's really here. We just watched him because this is when he brought UMass to the Final Four and Cal Perry was over there at mm-hmm. UMass then. Like UMass was put on the map by Marcus Kennedy. sure did. And Hartford is 10 minutes from UMass, maybe 20 at most. Wow. You know, if you're in Hartford and you hear about UMass. So I watched all the attorneys going crazy over Marcus. <clears throat> we brought him downstairs to the 26th floor, put him in a conference room, walked him through what it would take, got the foundation set up. He wears a logo on his elbow, on his uh bicep right here yeah. with the logo we created for the Candyland. It's, if you see his arm, 
that logo is still on his arm. Wow. Basketball hoop and a little thing on it. And his uncle brought him in. And from that point, I got a little bit more respect with him, but they still didn't want to pull the string and hire a real partner partner. Yeah. I wanted them to go out and do what these firms in Atlanta did. Mm-hmm. These firms in Atlanta, they grabbed Joe Katz, who had his own firm, right. brought him into Greenberg, brought him into one of the big firms, and then they built you know, twenty, thirty million dollar department right. based on the reign of a Joel Katz. Right. We could have done the same thing with Robson and Cole. So I leave there, start working out of my home in my basement in Windsor, Connecticut, a little simple townhouse that I own, mm-hmm. and we just grew and grew and grew. Awesome. Went from just a couple people working in the basement with me to moving to New Haven County, where I got my master's at Yale, and then we bought some in Stanford, then we bought a whole building in Stanford, and then we had. 20 people doing legal, 20 people doing real estate, because yeah. I was still an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So we started buying apartment buildings, office buildings, medical buildings, legal buildings. And at one point, we had that team of 40 doing all the legal stuff and managing all the properties. So what types of law does Walker & Associates practice? It's not just entertainment law, no, is that correct? No, okay. it's not just entertainment. We have lawyers either on staff or contracted doing everything from trademark to family law, to entertainment law, to litigation, to real estate, to uh, wills and trust. I mean, I can go down the list. I have right now a team of 10 to 15 helping us at our building in College Park. I bought a building right across the street from my son's high school because okay. he was such an active baseball player. Mm-hmm. So we bought a building on what I like to say is Woodward's campus because we're right across the street. Right. And we've contracted with about 35, 38 lawyers around the country. Nice. So I have cases sitting in California, Illinois, Oklahoma, New York, New Jersey, Philly, Delaware, D.C., Maryland, all of the North Carolinas, North and South Carolina, Florida, Mississippi. We just got Marcus Freeman in Mississippi, very well-known major gospel artist. We got her out of a bad contract. Um, I said New York State and federal. And uh, anybody in Virginia? Virginia. I just handled a divorce for a celebrity in Virginia. And what I do is I contract with these lawyers so that with our national profile, when I get a call from L.A. or Chicago or Connecticut or Florida or Mississippi in that recent case, I'm able to just pick the phone up, push a button and, hey Zach, we, we got a case coming in Illinois, let's go counsel. Okay. We settled a case yesterday in Cincinnati, a Me Too movie case. Mm-hmm. And again, same thing. I picked up local counsel there. They I let the local counsel kind of be out front mm-hmm. and I'm seeing everything from the back, what's going on, what's being filed. Okay. And we all split up the fees and the case is set up. Right. So uh, these these cases are coming to you, do you mm-hmm. and then you actually look for I pick the co- the local council. Right. So this is almost back to the college days again where you got the, 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 the this is this hall versus this part of the campus. Yep. So this is a, this is again I want to highlight with this podcast the importance that musicians have to think entrepreneurially because that's what you are. That's what, yes, you are a ten There's no way around it. You have you're running a business no matter whether you want to or not. So the greater your skill set mm-hmm. in entrepreneurship, the more successful would you say your entertainment career would be? Oh, definitely. I wish I would have done this 10 years ago in terms of managing all these lawyers okay. because the calls have been there for 10 years. I usually outsource it to somebody and pay no attention. Mm-hmm. But recently I started keeping stuff in-house. Yeah. And I know that's a sign of I don't have four kids in the house no more. <laughs> so I'm able to <laughs> devote myself. I, I like to say right now is the first time in life where I've been a full-time lawyer. Wow. Because I've always had kids from law school to yeah. now. Yeah. I've never been able to practice law without a kid or two in the house, mm-hmm. like three or four. So now everybody's outgrown or in college like Zion, and I'm able to just be a lawyer, yeah. nine to five. 
right. and then, or nine to nine if you have to. And it's just a different whole feeling, a different whole kind of um, fun and reality of mm-hmm. how good we can be when we can just focus on you know the job every day. And it's not to take anything away from parenting because I enjoy parenting sure. for kids and sure. I still do enjoy them. But now I can literally work till late at night and I have to worry about, okay, mm-hmm. I gotta get up and get this one to this private school, get this one on the bus, yeah. do homework with this one, yeah. PTA I'm here, football game over here, yeah, tennis, karate, tennis, rifle club, cheerleading, baseball, soccer, basketball, we, we had all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just I'm just getting started, so you you're gonna help me out. <laughs> just like navigating that territory with entrepreneurship and parenting. That's, yes. that's a thing. Keep yourself fit because yeah. it's rigorous. Wow. So you get through it. So Walker and Associates started in Connecticut. In Connecticut, and Connecticut. you had great success there. So why Atlanta? Why did you transition the firm here? Yeah. And is it still in Connecticut also, or is it primarily I, only? Here? I transitioned in here. I'm still admitted in Connecticut. Okay. I'm admitted in three states and waiting on New York now. So okay. I should probably be admitted in four states by the end of this year. Very good. Um, I came here for diversity for the kids. My youngest son was living in Monroe, very, very affluent suburb in Connecticut. And I went up to his school one day and he said, Dad, I really hate being the only black boy in the class. Hmm. And that just really did something to me. And at that time, he was in third grade, Joy was in seventh, and James was in tenth when he said that to me. Jordan had already finished her run of of lower school and, and college. So we would come to Atlanta every summer and spend 10 days here. We rent a room at the West End downtown mm-hmm. yeah. and stay there for a week, get a suite. We see all our friends from Howard, from church, from everywhere. And we was just like, wow, what is this like? Black folks, mm-hmm. black mayor, you know, black yeah. council members, stuff you don't see in Connecticut too often. Right. So I basically um, came down here April of 2011 and bought a house. Even while we had the house in Connecticut, right. I bought another house or bid it on a house in April, closed in July. And we were here by August 1st, 2011. Wow. We moved here the same year. We This really? is 10 year anniversary for both of us. Oh, since wow. Atlanta. ATL is, I guess we can call it. Ourselves it now. ATL we moved now. down in November of 2011. Oh, wow. So Where did you come from? North Carolina at the time. Right. We have been in New York a couple of times, is what mm-hmm. I think I mentioned to you that we lived in Brooklyn all the That's right. Ages, you did but North Carolina's home home for us. What part? Um, I'm from Greensboro, oh, yeah. Winston Salem area. My hometown is Madison, but it's easier to, to keep yeah. the landmark there. Well, my grandfather comes out of Greenville. Yes. And the good thing about living in Atlanta is when James started Howard in 2013, we stopped in Greenville and Raleigh and met all my grandfather's people. He used to always tell me, you got to meet my people. You got to meet my people. Yeah. So we went through there. We had met some on Facebook. We stopped in North Carolina. Now I have 80 new cousins in Raleigh, Greenville. Yeah. I came up one weekend. They had a cookout with everybody. It's like, he brought James' grandson. Bro, James. Bro, James. That's his grandson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He looked just like him. They just just took us in. And it's become become home when we can't get to Connecticut. We stop in Raleigh or Greenville and have a ball with all of our cousins here. Just wonderful, wonderful people. Yeah. I'm so blessed we met them seven years ago. Awesome. Okay, so Attorney Walker, you are uh, an attorney, you are a dad, you are an entrepreneur, but you're also an author. Yes, I am. This business of urban music. Talk to us about why you wrote that book and how people can, of course, get it, but but more so the, the vision behind the writing of that sure. book. Sure. For years, we had used a book called This Business of Music by a guy named William Krasilowski, mm-hmm. who was a mentor of mine. I met William. Mr. Krasowski, when I was a student at Howard, I was in town to do what's called a moot court competition, like a debate competition. Yeah. When you're a student, you go on these mock debate 
competitions. Mm -hmm. And I went to see Mr. Kraslowski. He had represented the estate of Duke Ellington, the estate of Billy Holiday. I mean, he just had those landmark clients. Mm -hmm. He was probably 75, 80 year old Jewish gentleman. I walked in his office and he said, spell synchronization. And I was like, S-Y-N-C-R-H-R-O-N-I-S-Y-N-C-R-H-R-O-N-I-S-Y-N-C-R-H-R-O-N-I-S-Y-N-C-R-H-R-O-N-I-S-Y-N-C-R-H-R-O
Yeah. Not the music side. Do you have to have an entertainment attorney in today's music business because we're in the independent era? I think so. Digital. I think you have to have an entertainment attorney to understand the digital space. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to have one still to do your agreements. Now, the question is, do you need a record label mm -hmm. where you can go directly to the internet now, get a good radio team, get a good marketing team, right. and maybe push your record yourself? Mm -hmm. Get it on iTunes and then you do the street team stuff yourself. I'm not sure if you still need a record label per se. Mm -hmm. And labels have been very careful to try to sign kids now who have a big social media following, right. who have a big American Idol or The Voice or America's Got Talent, you know, one of those shows behind them, so that they parlay right into a label with a million sales, you know, two million yeah. sales, two million followers. So it's changed a lot yeah. from the way it used to be, but it's good because now you can reach everybody. I tell kids all the time, hey, I want to write a song for Zach. I want to write a song for so-and-so. I want Brady to... I said, well, go up on Instagram and find your managers. Mm. You can get right to them now. Exactly. It right. used to be that you and I held all the contacts or mm. somebody needed to get to a label. They had to hire you exactly. to get to that president, that VP, that A&R person, that whatever guy. Right. They're all right there on social media and you just simply inbox them or mm. go on their wall and say, hey, I got something hot. Everybody's so, looking for the next hot thing. Let's say I connect with say I follow that exact advice because that again that's available to everybody mm -hmm. I do that a lot of our listeners will want to know how do I make it in this business in today's times and so if I do make that contact mm -hmm. and I'm getting interest back right what is if there is a one agreement that I need to have in place and I meet with an entertainment attorney what should we start with where should we start together I'm your I'm your new client mm -hmm. I've got 300,000 followers and Sony is interested in it. Yeah, the first step is, okay, you're my new client. I'm going to first ask, do you have a manager? Mm -hmm. And they'll usually say, yes, I do. And I'll say, okay, what's the agreement between you all? Mm -hmm. Or they'll say, I'm a part of this little local production company. And they help me make my CD. They help me do my music. They help okay. me. So I'll say, okay, what's the paperwork between you and this local team? Right. Before we even go to Sony's door. What's the paperwork? Right. The, what's the paperwork right now? Mm -hmm. They'll say, hey, Sony wants to sign this product I have. Um, it's got 10 songs on it. So I'm going to say, where, where's paperwork for these 10 songs? Because when you get to Sony, they can't put this out if things aren't clear. Exactly. Are all the samples clear? Right. So those are my first conversations with you. Mm -hmm. Is there a manager? Is there a production company? Okay, where's paperwork for this production company? Oh, there's eight songs on here. You only wrote four of them. Okay, what's the deal with the other four? Mm -hmm. Because what I'm trying to tell the artist is you don't want to get held hostage by wow. putting this record out. And then some kid pops out, hires James Walker, and says, hey, James Walker. Zach got my song on his CD or this, this album that's on iTunes and he never paid me. He never ever got that clear. Right. So now I'm calling you and Sony and saying, hey, I want a million bucks. Mm. If you don't, or just pull that song because my guy owns copyright. Right. And Zach didn't get permission to use it. Or my guy produced the track and Zach didn't clear the track before mm. he put it out nationally. Wow. So the first steps is making sure the intellectual property Mm -hmm. It's covered, cleared, written up, contracted, you know, typed every which way. Yeah. So that it comes to the label self-contained. Mm -hmm. All agreements are done. Because the label's going to ask you if they're good. They're going to say, hey, we see these songs on here. Do you have something to represent these songs are clear? Yeah. We see four different producers on the back here. You have something to show all these producers have been paid, right. work for hire agreements or something. All of that kind of stuff. Even your name. Is your name trademarked? Is yeah. your name protected? So all this, I'm in the studio, I'm in the studio, I'm in the studio mm -hmm. talk, if we hear a lot of artists doing, that's dangerous. It's so, dangerous if they're not doing split sheets yeah. and they're not writing up something to later protect yeah. that. Especially song. if you're making great art. You're literally making hits and smashes like you say. Right. Somebody yes, should be papering it and making sure it is what it is. From the jump. Yeah. Wow. 
Absolutely. So when you think about the way things have changed now, where do you personally see, because you're on the you're on the inside mm -hmm. and outside, but you're seeing a lot of the deals, maybe even helping negotiate and craft them. Sure. Where do you see the industry going for the next five, 10 years, taking us into 2030? I think the labels are going to have to do what they've realized now, be a smaller player, getting 20% versus 80% back in the 70s and 80s. Oh, wow. They're going to have to be a smaller player because the talent is going to get smart enough to figure out how to do this without you. Mm -hmm. Just facts. So once the talent figures, hey, we don't need you. You've seen it on the NCAA side where the players exactly. now they get paid. Right. Those right. players now are smart. Right. Now the schools are going to lose a little leverage now because it isn't no longer, hey, I got to go play for Cal Perry. I got to go play for the guy at Duke. Or I got to go play for the guy at Georgetown because that's how I'm giving money. Mm -hmm. Well, Master P's son is going to Tennessee State to sign a $2 million contract for endorsements. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. I love it. So the, the, the whole landscape has changed by that one move. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be the case with the artists. Once they really, really learn how to do digital streaming, how to come together to help each other, and how to get their followers up. Mm -hmm. I got a million followers. What do I need you to do with the record label? Right. If I put a CD out and got a million followers, you know, I have a client now, Candace Dillard Bassett. Bassett. She's on the Housewife show. Great CD. Got some names on it, producing it, writing songs. Mm -hmm. And I feel real confident. When she releases her CD or her album, I don't think it'll be CD form, but whatever format it is, she's going to do very, very well. Mm -hmm. And she won't have the big, big machine of a Sony, BMG, Motown, whoever. Right. But whoever she has, it's going to be incredible wow. to see how her record does. So, James, uh, I have a question for you specific. I'm going to use a, a, an easy example here. But considering Steve Harvey as a case study, mm -hmm. what would be your approach to representing or is your approach to the multifaceted client? He's in TV, radio, film. He's an author like you. Comedy. He has fashion. Sure. Rape, talk shows. So I meet him at a party and he says, hey man, I'm yeah. going to put a I need a new... Yeah. Okay. My first step with clients on that magnitude, because we have a few of them, my first step is to get in where you fit in. So for example, in all those areas that you just named, right. he might have a good tax lawyer. He mm -hmm. might have a good film lawyer. He might have a good literary lawyer. He might have a good music lawyer. But he might not have a good IP lawyer. He might not have a good family law lawyer. Okay. He might not have a good uh, film and TV, whatever lawyer, whatever areas he's in. So my approach is always just let us do a crumb. Just give us a little crumb. Because I know our work is so strong that once you get a slice of our sweet potato pie, <laughs> you're going to come back and say, hey, man. Could, could, could you do another slide? You think I give you a little bit more of this pie? Can I give you, you know? And that never fails. We'll start with a little crumb. And I like the little crumb too because it gives me a chance to see if I like you. Mm -hmm. I don't really care about who your celebrity is. I just want to see, do I like you? Right. Many people know I was Aretha Franklin's attorney for the last couple of years before she died. And I really liked Miss Franklin. Right. So I did some trademark stuff. I did legal stuff. I did film stuff. I did music stuff because I liked her. I wasn't her main, main guy. She'd probably been with somebody else 30, 40, 50 years before me. Right. But I liked the niche that she gave me, mm -hmm. which expanded into other little things. And that's how I would look at a Steve Harvey type. Like, just give me my area. Okay. And sometimes they have a main guy or a girl or woman, mm -hmm. and you have to make sure you don't intimidate them or rock them the wrong way. Okay. So okay. you've been Steve's main lawyer for 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. I get brought on a team. My role is to reinforce you to make sure you know, look, man, I'm not here to take your main mm -hmm. client. I know he's your main client. Right. I get it. You've been with Steve since he was 35. You've grown this whole $100 million empire. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I'm here to make you better. I got my team at my building. I got access to dozens of lawyers. Mm-hmm. You need to just pick the phone up and call me and say, hey, we got a tax issue today. We got a tax. Hey, we got a family law issue. Baby mom about to go public. And Steve didn't pay child support last year. Mm-hmm. I got somebody to handle that. Hey, we about to deal with this film deal. Steve isn't happy with the LA council. You got somebody for LA? Yeah, I got a guy out there called Daryl Swanson. You know, that's kind of how I roll. So it's a different model because many entertainment lawyers are like this, very protective. I'm more the guy that's like, hey, if Eric is good, Eric, come on the team, help us out. No, no threat felt, no, no, no bad energy. I need you. Look, my plate is real full. My cup runneth over. Mm-hmm. So if you can come here, Eric, and you do family law, <laughs> come help me with Leandra's family law. Come help me with John's tax law. Come help me with uh, Corinne Hawthorne's restaurant deal. I mean, these are the things I deal with daily, and I'm constantly pulling in different lawyers to help us, and I'm constantly reminding the lawyers, just remember, my job as co-counsel is to make you look like a star, right. and your job as co-counsel is to make me look like a star. Mm-hmm. Neither one is out here trying to shine in front of the client yeah. to get some one-upmanship. Right. And I learned that just working with Cochran on Ray Allen. Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't there trying to, you know, yeah. I was there to say, hey, Flo, Johnny's my guy, Ms. Cochran's cool, he's a mentor, you guys should talk. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to build relationships that way. Right. And it's tough because I'm also the guy that has the Sue record labels, so that can give you a bad relationship, yeah, or right. not relationship, but a bad name. But what I realize is they really respect you when you're right. right. People know we just represented Andre Sims in the Focus case. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, all of those lawyers respect you. Right. They may not like you, but they respect that, hey, yeah. you had a viable claim, you brought it, mm-hmm. worked out, you know, we respect you. Right. And that's, that's all you really care about. You don't care about being liked. You want right. to be respected. Exactly. Exactly. Are there any cases, you mentioned Andre Sims in mm-hmm. case, are you at liberty to share any details related to any cases that you might be working on that, that would be, I guess, impactful to the industry at large? When you looked at the case itself, do you, how do you see it impacting the future of the music business? As we know? Oh, I, I, I just did the 112 case with the trademark, where one member owns the trademark and they got into a federal lawsuit. Right. We won that case, and the impact of that is now people are talking about trademarking their name more because mm. they see what we did there. Um, I did the Lifetime case with the Bristol Palin okay. lawsuit where my guy, Kyle Massey, created this show about Bristol Palin and a Hollywood producer stole it. Mm. So we had to sue Eddie, Lifetime, settle out of court, humongous you know, win. Um, it's a whole number of cases. Of course, everybody knows we sued Sony back in 2013, or we sued in 2005, and we settled sometime 2013, 2015, for tampering with black lawyers representing black clients. Okay. And that really changed the game because yeah, the labels know they just can't muscle over black representatives anymore, right. that we will take a stance. Um, I got Men of Standard free from Malico, which was a game changer for Malico because a lot of black artists were stuck there. Mm. And we were the ones to come in and get this quartet group called Men of Standard freed. So we've had just a litany and litany of, you know, home run cases, you know, even on the family law side. Last year, everybody knew my client, Andrea, was going through a very high-profile divorce with a guy who was her husband for a brief period of time, and he was trying to shake her down, and when he won the case, he didn't get a dime mm. here in Georgia. So we, you know, we, we fight strong. We try to just be clear with people. If you're going to bring it, you better have a strong case. <laughs> Walk in the subject. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a strong brand. So... And just maybe in 60 seconds or less, tell me about the power of a brand. Like, that's that's mm-hmm. your brand. Sure. But what do you think our listeners need to know 
from the legal side about the power of a brand? Sure, the power of a brand, you look at Jay-Z, Beyonce, for example, I call them king and queen on the hip hop side, if not the whole music industry. Sure. The power of a brand, if used properly and preserved properly, is as you get further along, the effort becomes less because mm -hmm. the brand is so power if you've done it right. Mm -hmm. So for example, with us, because of what we've done over the years on the gospel music side, if we call a label and we say, hey, Zach has a valuable claim, they're gonna take us serious because right. our brand has been a brand that's been consistent, that's taken on meaningful cases, that's won meaningful cases, mm -hmm. and we don't do a lot of foolishness. If we follow suit, we've done the research, we've done the knock on the door first, we've tried right. to talk to you first, we've really, really gone in depth. So the brand, to your question, it's, it's so important. Mm -hmm. Even with what you post, like I post one selfie this week, but I don't post a lot of selfies. Okay. If I'm posting a selfie, it's strategic that I'm trying to get traction on my page for some big announcement I'm about to make. Okay. You understand? Know yeah. So I know I got to bring folks over to my page right. in some way this week because tomorrow I'm going to drop. Hey, we just won this one trial case. Mm -hmm. or, hey, we just won this case for, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so artist or so-and-so business. But outside of that, you're being very careful not to post foolish stuff that can dilute your brand yeah. and dilute your value. And I try to tell lawyers all the time, remember, to the public, you're a great lawyer. So you got to be careful posting you, hey, I'm in the club, yo, we getting nice, yo, yeah. oh, who is me? Yeah. Yeah, you guys, all this is that? a part of your brand. Yeah, who does that? Yeah. You know, like, you got to act like you've been here. I don't want people seeing me getting off private planes and seeing me <laughs> staging a red carpet in a different country or town. We do that stuff, but we don't want it staged. Mm -hmm. And we don't want people coming our Benjamins. Mm -hmm. So if we win some cases, we don't want to be just boasting and bragging about what we did, what we did. Right. If we announce it, it's to send a message to other artists that we're here for you. Mm -hmm. That's the brand. Yeah. And I want you to know we're doing these cases, we're winning them or selling them, and we want you to consider us. Mm -hmm. But we're not trying to toast it up every week on social media as you see a lot of others yeah. doing. I used to jokingly say to my legal counterparts, do you want to be a lawyer or do you want to be Russell Simmons? <laughs> if you want to be a lawyer, get over here with me and go to some classes, teach, sit on panels, write blogs, do interviews like this with great people, help artists get freed from bad contracts. I should say before we leave, we freed over 200 artists from bad contracts in the last wow. 25 years or so. Outstanding. Yeah, every year we probably do 10 or 20 a year. When somebody would call me and say, hey, man, I'm signing so-and-so. I've been locked in for seven, eight years. We sent a letter or two, maybe a draft complaint. Artist is free. So, James, your role with the Bronze Lens Film Festival. Yes. If you can tell us a little bit more about why you're passionate, why you serve in that capacity, mm -hmm. and what do you see for the film community here, particularly in, in Georgia and Atlanta? Ex excellent question. Thank you for asking about that. So, the Bronze Lens Film Festival was founded by Kathleen Bertrand. Mm -hmm. who ran the Atlanta Greater Convention and Visitors Borough for years before okay. retiring, I guess about four or five years ago. Wow. I met Ms. Bertrand in her being a jazz artist who does the Atlanta Jazz Fest. Mm -hmm. So we met there and I did a lot of contracts for her and helped her book Blues Alley in my old neighborhood in D.C. Oh, okay. So she did Blues Alley and we just became great friends and I started attending the Bronze Lens Film Festival every August with her and then gradually she asked me to sit on the board. I'm general counsel to the board do all their contracts. We have some big announcements coming up soon. And where I see Atlanta is going is the same way that conference has gone. It was a couple thousand people the first year, then 4,000, and then I think recently we had 10,000 people. Really? Yeah. Wow. And they're getting seven or 800 submissions on mm -hmm. the film side. 
yoga from everywhere. So even in the in what's called this uh, pandemic era, oh, then it has it has slowed down a bit. Okay, this this summer she's gonna have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of submissions. And by submissions for your listeners, people submitting their movies to be screened, mm -hmm. submitting their movies for competitions. Then she has a panel of experts who watch the movies. Right. And you might have like best theatrical, best this, best that, best short film, best right. comedy film, best whatever. And it's just a wonderful conference, but it's the epitome of what's going on in Atlanta now and in Georgia now with more of Hollywood coming here to shoot. Right. Because right. they realize they can shoot a movie here probably for half of what they would pay in New York or LA. Tax incentives. And they got the tax incentives where you get so much back. You spend five million, you might get two, three million back right. in tax incentives. And there are guys who buy that tax incentive from you. Okay. So you're holding a very valuable piece of paper. And what I've basically done there is I've taught panels on uh, your film production, legal counsel, mm -hmm. and what agreements you need, how to do the title search when you're coming up with a film, you gotta search the title, all the actor agreements, producer agreements, just everything connected with shooting a film. Mm -hmm. We've been general counsel for a lot of small films and filmmakers, and we basically just step in and teach them how to protect themselves. And when is the festival? Oh, the festival is middle of August. I think it's so it's, coming up? 20, it's coming up in August. Okay. I can get you the exact date, but if they go to bronzelens.com, mm -hmm. bronze film, bronze film, uh, bronze lens film festival, they'll be able to find it. And awesome. Kathleen Bertrand again, and Dietrich McDonald, they kind of run it and have done an excellent job. I'm so proud to be a part of the organization. They do a woman's luncheon during the week where they usually honor some, you know, very successful black women in the industry. Wow. New upcoming artists, mm -hmm. somebody who's been there and somebody who's legend. So you might see Susan in the past, and then somebody like Terry Vaughn in the middle, and then somebody mm -hmm. who's on their first Tyler Perry series. Nice. And they're all being honored in this real powerful women's luncheon. Is that also a great way for uh, musicians, for example, songwriters, score, film scores, to film connect scores, with film yeah. producers? On the it's rise? a great way if you're a film supervisor or a music supervisor, if you're just a musician trying to get into that lane. I told a few clients today that they might want to come to the Bronze Lines hmm. just so that they can get exposed. And you're sitting in a room with people who got stuff on BET, Showtime, yeah. all these major networks. Right. Awesome. Well, another question that's not musical. Mm -hmm. What does Attorney James Walker do for fun? How do you relax? Oh, uh, basketball. Uh, obviously, baseball with Zion. Um, I want to take karate now. I've always wanted to take karate. Zion's a, Zion's a black belt. Okay. So wow. originally, we wanted to do it together. Leave Zion alone. Huh? Yeah. Like Zion <laughs> we wanted to do it together originally, but the school he was at in Connecticut didn't have the joint classes where you could do it with your child. Mm -hmm. But I always said once he got out the house and got to college, then I would go back and probably do something like that myself. Yeah. Um, piano playing. Just saw, you know, church, enjoying the word of God. Um, that, that's pretty much it, you know, traveling. I, I fly, my son used to work for American, my older son, so I still can fly everywhere in the okay. world for literally peanuts because of my older son. Very good. And you are obviously an avid, devoted father. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that entrepreneur, that musician, male, female, singer, whatever they aspire to do, who does have small children right now and they want to pursue this dream, they feel like it's what they're called to do. Mm -hmm. They they know they're musically hitched, mm -hmm. but they've got grown-up responsibilities. Sure. What would you say about how to be both an active and engaged parent, but extremely professional and in pursuit of your dream and goal sure. in the music industry? My theology has always been God, family, church, business. So you put God first, mm -hmm. and then your family, and then all those other things just line up. Fantastic. That's the way I operate. So if you are finishing work today, your child's got a basketball game, and you want to go hang out with the fellas, or you want to go over here and do this, 
you got to put family first. Mm -hmm. And people respect that in the game. Right. If they see you putting your kids first. Exactly. And after a period of time, you just learn how to juggle it. Mm -hmm. And there's time to do it all. I always say to men who are having struggles in their relationships or struggles or whatever, I say, if you put your devotion in your kids, you don't really have time to run the streets. Mm -hmm. You don't have time to get in trouble out here. True story. Because you, mm -hmm. that's going to be a full-time job yeah. on top of your regular job. And God will give you the wherewithal to manage all of it. Sure. And it's not as stressful as you may think it'd be mm -hmm. if you're just going with the flow and doing what's required of you to be a good father, a good mother, and a good business person. Mm -hmm. And I've done it now. I look at Connecticut. We were managing 50 rentals in a law firm and four kids. Wow. And we never skipped a beat because we knew what our priorities were. Priorities. Key word. And we, and we didn't get caught up in, James, we'll come out here to Harlem. We all have a party. Come on, man. Come to the cigar room. <laughs> it was time for that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not knocking people who that's their thing, but I got four kids right. who need to see me at the dinner table. Yeah. There's the family business, and then there's the, the business that you run. And you got to mind both. You right? got to mind both. Absolutely. So you've, you've had a lot of success. Mm -hmm. We're wrapping up now. What is next for Walking Associates? More the same, or is there anything new that you would like to share? With sure. Associates with? I'd like us to consider, continue, excuse me, growing in the film space, okay. in the TV space. I like to get another book out. Mm -hmm. I like to double our size, probably go from 15 to 30. I like us to decide if we're gonna stay in College Park or relocate mm -hmm. somewhere else because we, I was there because the kids were in school there sure, sure. with our business, but there's a decision we have to decide to one stay there or add another northern right. location and have a south and north. That would probably be the ideal thing, okay. to have a south yeah. and north. Yeah. That way I'm not trekking to College Park every day when I don't have to be down that way. Absolutely. Um, but that's probably the biggest thing. And then you start talking about, okay, is my son gonna come one day from a big law firm and partner up, mm -hmm. who knows? That'll be awesome. My daughter's are going to law school. She come back and partner up, only time will tell. Yeah. But you hope after you build this whole brand that you can just pass it to someone else and mm -hmm. say, hey, we've got hundreds and hundreds of clients. You can come right in here, yeah. boom, and take it to the next level. So tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you if anyone is in need of, of legal services. And sure. it's not just entertainment laws, as you pointed out earlier. Mm -hmm. How can they find you on the web as well as on social media? Sure, on the web, we're walkerandassoc.com, www.walker and A-N-D, A-S-S-O-C.com, like associates abbreviated, walkerandassoc.com. On Facebook, I'm James L. Walker, Jr., attorney. You can find me on Facebook or our law page. And then on Instagram, I believe I'm James Walker ESQ on Instagram. And you'll see a picture of me with the bronze lens film festival as a board member. So those are the ways they can find me um, through social media, through the website. And I wanna thank you before we wrap up. Oh, sure. I've always admired just your integrity, your character, and the way you go about doing things. Whether it be your private business or your panels or even your podcast, it's just an honor to see you do this great show. And I just can't wait to it gets going and trademark this name and all that stuff. But it's an honor to be here with you and to the team working off camera on such a quality show. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, brother. As always, a pleasure. Likewise. I got to get to baseball now. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's that time. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been tuning in to another fantastic episode with our good friend and longtime attorney, James Walker, Jr. of Walker Associates. We hope that you found this to be extremely valuable. Continue to stay musically hit, stay encouraged. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Take care. To our listeners, we'd like to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's content, 
Be sure to like and subscribe so that you'll always be notified of new episodes. This is Zach Reynolds Jr. We look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Musically Hitched. Thank you.